Welcome to New Covenant Church. You are listening to this week's message with Senior Pastor Chris Valdez. Here we are, Lord. We're here for you, Father. Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let your will be done this morning. Let your word be spoken this morning. Let your word be received this morning. Jesus promised you would send the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. And I just pray that your truth would be transforming this morning. And that what you would have for each of our hearts to hear would be heard. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. We are so glad that you're with us this morning. If you're a guest, welcome. Before we get started, I just wanted uh, to remind everybody of our vision and tell you about something new that we're starting. Uh, Our vision at NCC is to glorify God by inviting all people to know, hear, and respond to Jesus Christ through relationship. And we added one new method of facilitating relationships to help us accomplish our vision Uh, Going forward, I'll be in the the east side of the foyer after uh, both services just to welcome, meet, greet uh, any of our guests or visitors, or maybe you've even been coming for a few weeks or a few months and we just haven't had the opportunity to meet. Uh, I would love love to meet you, love to get to know you a little bit better, answer any questions that you may have. So um, if you've been coming for a little while or even if today's your first day, and you would uh, like to visit after this message, I'll be out in the foyer afterward, uh, and we can have a, a time to visit. Well, we've, we've been feeling for a while uh, that God's moving, and we believe that it's not just in the body of NCC or this part of the body of Christ, and not just throughout Lampasas, but throughout the nation and the world, that God is uh, up to something. Uh, and we don't quite know what that is or when, when it's coming or how he's going to move, but, but that's something that we've just been, been feeling and believing for. Uh, last month at our throne room encounter, which is uh, something that we do every uh, first Saturday night of the month, which this is a time of worship and praise, uh, last month we had a time of testimony. And uh, several people from our body who have been here uh, since the beginning, which is a little over 30 years ago now, uh, shared part of the testimony of, of New Covenant and the things and the moves that God has done in this part of the body. And it was encouraging to, to remember what God has done. And I was actually planning on going a different route for, for this current series that I'm starting this morning, but during that uh, testimony time, I really just had it felt impressed on me that we needed to look at the testimony of revivals. That, like I said, we feel like we know what, that God is doing something, that He's moving, but testimonies encourage our faith. Testimonies remind us what God can accomplish, what God can do. And so when we hear testimonies of what God has done before, it encourages our faith to believe that He can do and accomplish what He's saying He's going to do today, in our day. And so that's kind of where the idea of this, this series came from. And I'm calling it Old Church Revival New Melody, and that's, that's based off of a song that you may have heard. It's a song that was written just in 2022, uh, and the song is called Old Church Basement. But one of the lines says, an old hallelujah with a new melody. And it, it ties songs throughout kind of the history of the church, at least in the last hundred or so years, uh, it has lines from the old hymn, Great is thy faithfulness, Lord unto me. 
it ties in a song from the late 90s that was very popular when I was in college, the song, I Could Sing of Your Love Forever, that was a very powerful song, and we still sing it sometimes today. And all these, these words, all these lyrics are woven into this new song that was written this year. And it, it reminded me that, that the works of God throughout history are like throwing a, a stone into a pond. And those ripples go all the way to the edge of the pond. And that, that everything that God has done from the very beginning of time, through every revival that he has caused to our day now, he is weaving those things together. And, and as I was reading those stories and those testimonies about revivals, it amazed me to see how the revivals, even a hundred or more years apart, were woven together. That something that had started in a previous one went all the way through connections of transferring uh, what God had done to a person who then was part of the, new, the next revival that would be started. And we're going to look more at those in the last two messages in this series. This morning I want to focus on what is a revival. And, and as a kid, um, as a young man growing up, uh, I didn't like the term. I, I grew up in church. I've always, I, I've, I've said that I was attending church nine months before I was born. So, so I grew up in knowing uh, Jesus Christ. I, I don't remember when I was saved because it's, that's the only life I've ever lived. Now, I can't say I've, I've asked the Lord into my heart more times than I can remember because I would, I would doubt my faith. I would doubt my salvation. So I'd be like, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll do it again just in case. But that's the only life I've ever known, so that just to give you a little background of what I'm about to say. So even as a kid, and this was, this was in the, the late 70s, uh, early, early 80s, I guess really more early 80s because I was born in the late 70s. So, but even just when I was like 9, 10 years old, they, this was in the time where, uh, and probably in a small town like this, if y'all were here in Lampasas or in another area like this, they would have a revival. There would be a tent revival. Next week, we're going to have a week-long revival. Our church might have had a revival once a year. We're going to have some three nights of revival. And even as a child, something didn't sit well with me in my spirit. I was like, you can't plan a revival. You can't schedule a revival. God does a revival. God stirs a revival. It's from the Holy Spirit. But again, as I, as I was looking at this, I came across the definition, or I, I started looking up the definition of a revival, and it, it started to show me why that so bothered me and why it didn't sit well with me. Because I believe uh, those people that were doing that, it's not that they had a bad heart or they were trying to do something. They just they saw what was going on in the world, and they thought, we need a revival. And I think their heart was in the right place. But honestly, they were praying for the wrong thing. And I believe even many of us today who think we need revival don't know what revival really means. And we don't know who it's for. We think that revival, we see the world and we say the world needs revival, but the world can't be revived. They're dead. Revival, every single revival from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from Pentecost today, every single revival is the Holy Spirit doing a work and reviving a church that is sick. Reviving a church that's not doing what it's called to do. We were brought from death to life when we get saved. 
I remember my father telling me his testimony when he was a young man and he was on fire for the Lord. And he went to a church and he was, he was so on fire and what the people in the church told him was, give it a while, that'll go away. Your excitement will go away. Eventually you'll calm down. That's why the church needs revival. We've calmed down. We've lost that fire. We've lost the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not listening to Him. We're not doing what He's calling us to do. We've calmed down. And that's when God says the church needs to be revived. We're on a sickbed. That's when revival comes. When the church is on a sickbed. And the truth is the church should never need revival. If we were living the way we were called to and following Jesus Christ as we were called to, we could have lived from Pentecost today without one revival. Pastor Darrell was preaching last week and he talked about how the Roman Empire was transformed by the church in 300 years of being the church. I wrote in my notes that it was like the, the Roman revival. But I was once again doing exactly like Applying a lie to the belief of what we think a revival is. That wasn't a revival. The church was the church for 300 years and it transformed an empire. It wasn't until after that, after they became in power and in government and all that stuff and started getting corrupted, that then they began to fall and then they were in need of a revival. It's when the people of God fall away from God that they need a revival. The Old Testament is full of examples where it says that they they drew close to God. They had a king that was following God and they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And then the next one, they drew the people away. They built idols. They did all kinds of things and fell away from the Lord. And then another king would come in and they were going back and forth, back and forth because they couldn't stay on fire for God. The definition of revival is the act or instance of reviving. A restoration to use, acceptance, activity, or vigor after a period of obscurity or inactivity. Only when the church gets to a place of obscurity and inactivity and not doing what we're called to be do we need revival. And so like I said, those people were... They had good intentions. And some of you here might have gotten saved at a tent revival. That doesn't diminish your salvation. But that wasn't a revival. It was a church meeting in a tent. They were just having another church meeting in a tent. A true revival is something that God starts. God does. And it's not to take out into the world. It's to get the church back where the church is supposed to be so we can be the light of the darkness and the world will see what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. Here's a question that we have to ask ourselves honestly. If the body of Christ is currently in need of reviving, what are we trying to bring the lost into? If you're only praying for the lost right now, if you look at the culture, if you see everything that's going on in the world and you're playing, God, fix them. Are we wanting them to be like us? I'm convicted. I've always been convicted of Paul's statement. Follow Christ like I follow Christ. 
I can't say that. I can't say that. So if we bring the lost into the church, what are we bringing them into? This passage isn't going to be in your notes. God gave it to me this morning. But if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 23 and then stay there because there's going to be another passage we're going to we're going to look at in Matthew 23 as well. This is Matthew 23, 13 through 15, and this is Jesus talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, a single convert. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. If the church needs revival, what are we calling them into? If we're missing the mark, we aren't doing anyone a favor by having them join us. A true revival is God recognizing that His people have fallen away, have grown cold, are on their deathbed, and out of His immeasurable grace and mercy chooses to revive us. He calls His people out of obscurity, out of inactivity, or out of activity that is not of Him. And He restores us to living a Christ-dependent, Holy Spirit-dependent life that proclaims the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and the Kingdom of Heaven. In Luke 4, Jesus quoted Isaiah's prophecy from Isaiah 61, and He proclaimed the type of revival that He was bringing. Luke 4.18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Today, this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The ministry of the living, active, vibrant, vigorous body of Christ is to continue the ministry that Jesus Christ started. Proclaiming Him and the kingdom of heaven. Proclaiming liberty, healing, life, and wholeness that can only come through Jesus Christ. There's been statistics out for years that have said that there's no statistical difference between the church and the world. The divorce rate's the same. The sin rate's the same. The drug addiction rate is the same. The alcoholism rate is the same. Any sin that you could come up with, it's pretty close to the same. What's the difference? After Jesus' ascension into heaven, there have been revivals from Pentecost to today, and there's two things that are in common with every single one of them. The first thing is that revivals are for God's people. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, from Pentecost to today, every true revival has been for the people of God. The second is they are all started miraculously by the Holy Spirit. 
That's why you can't schedule one. I want to be real clear. This series is not about starting a revival. Only God can do that. Only the Spirit can do that. We're just talking about what a revival is. Trying to understand what a revival really is. Yes, there, it is true that many revivals have been preceded by much prayer. Prayers of forgiveness for others. Prayer of repentance for the sins of the church and the, the individual sins that we are committing. But those actions were led of God through the Holy Spirit to bring about the revival of His church. Revival is for the church even when we don't think we need it. If you kept your place in Matthew 23, uh, look back there now at verse 29. Once again, this is still Jesus talking to the scribes and Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you the prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some of, some of you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation." Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered you, your children together, as hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were building monuments to the prophets their fathers had murdered. And would say, if we were there then, we wouldn't have done what they did. How often do we look at the Old Testament and say, If I'd have seen the Red Sea part... I would have never doubted God again. If I'd have seen bread come from heaven, my faith would have never wavered. How could those people have been so faithless? I'll be faithful. That's what those people were doing. They were looking at the past and they were acknowledging to the point that they were decorating and making uh, memorials to the slain prophets that their fathers had murdered. Yet they themselves, Jesus said, not only are you murdering the prophets I'm sending today, He prophetically spoke that you're going to crucify Me in the name of the Lord. That's how lost we can get. Those men were part of the children of Israel, God's chosen people. But His chosen people would fall away and have to be brought back and fall away and have to be brought back. And at this point, Jesus was coming once and for all to make a restoration. 
Yet even after Jesus came, and even after Pentecost, and even after Jesus Christ can live in us, the body of Christ falls away. And we get to a place that we're in need of repentance. We're in need of forgiveness. We're in need of restoration. We're in need of revival so we can be the body of Christ that God is calling us to be. That's what revival is for. The act or instance of reviving a restoration to use, acceptance, activity, or vigor after a period of obscurity or inactivity. You don't revive something that's never been alive. The world's living according to their identity. They're living to their true current life. It's the body of Christ that's not living up to our identity, to who we are. But we can't get there on our own. It has to be an act of God. It has to be from the infilling of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. It has to be something only He can do. And we can't write the day on a calendar. But we can pray for it. As crazy as it sounds, right now the church doesn't really need to worry about praying for the lost. We need to start praying for ourselves. God, let us be the body of Christ that you have called us to be so that the world will see a light that's different from the world. It's the only way. The scripture that Pastor Darrell used last week was Romans 12, 1 through 2, and it describes what it looks like if we're living up to God's plan. It's, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable acceptable and perfect. And part of the message uh, version of that passage says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. If we fit so well into the world that they can't even tell the difference, we're not being the body of Christ. We know there's a need for revival when the world can't tell the difference between a Christian and a, not, and a non-Christian. What causes, or what's one of the causes at least for the need for revival. One reason the church falls into a state of needing revival is because we lose our first love. And when that happens, we need to have the fire in our souls rekindled, revived. Revelation 2, 2 through 2-5 says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. All those are good things, but then in verse 4 it says, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent. This is a letter to the church. This isn't calling the world to repentance. This is calling the church to repentance. Repent and do the works you did at first. Repent for losing the fire of our first love. Repent for losing that that love we had for God where we were willing to do anything, go anywhere, be anything that He called us to be, but we got used to it. 
We calm down. That's something that Revelation uh, 4 says we must, or Revelation 2, I'm sorry, says we must repent of. And he says, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. We're supposed to be the light in the darkness. And God says, if we lose our first love, he takes our lamp away. What did we just say a moment ago? The world can't tell the difference. We go out into the world and it stays dark. Our lamp's been removed. And Revelation 2 says the only way to get the lamp back is to repent. Not to call the world to repentance. To bring the body of Christ to repentance. To be who He called us to be. And we can't do that on our own. Only by the work of the Holy Spirit. Only by the miraculous work and grace and mercy of God. And we say, Father, forgive us for not being who You called us to be. Forgive us for losing that love. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Cast me not away. Cast me not away from Thy presence, O God. We have to understand this. In a perfect world, Israel would have never fallen away from God in the Old Testament to come to a place where they needed to be revived over and over and over again. And in a perfect world, the church since Pentecost would not need a revival from God. But unfortunately, in this fallen world, there's a very big difference in what should be and what is. And it's this fact that means one of our very best prayers that we can pray is for revival. But remember what that means. We're praying for the body of Christ. We're praying for ourselves. Do you know how many accounts in the Bible of men that we look back who are like the pillars of our faith David, Daniel, Nehemiah, all of those passages have accounts where they fell and repented. They repented for the body as well, not the world. Again, they were repenting for the chosen people of God, for the nation of Israel. But they started with themselves. And we would look at them and say they had, well, David certainly did. We're going to look at that in a minute. (laughs) David had plenty to repent for Daniel, on the other hand, though, Daniel was a righteous man following God, but he still saw that even in the righteousness that he had, he was still a sinner. And he started with himself. We have to start with ourselves. Don't stop looking at the world around you and just say, God, show me my heart. Lay my heart out before you. Show me anything that I have in my life that you need to heal that you need to remove, that you need to transform, and then pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would be the body of Christ that God has called us to be, and He'll put the lampstand back in place, and when we go out in the world, the light will shine. And then the lost will come to the Lord. Then they will repent and be saved. But it wasn't because of the revival that was for them. It was because the church is revived to be the church that we're called to be. When revival comes to the body of Christ, it simply brings us to the condition in which we should have always been. 
It reignites our first love. It revitalizes our life. Remember, as believers, we've already been brought from life, from death to life. But if we don't live as we are called, we will grow weak. We will grow sick in our spirit, in need of healing, in need of reviving. And the Holy Spirit will stir the coals of the expiring fire and put heavenly breath back into our spiritual lungs during a revival that is from God. True revival is a work of the Holy Spirit. This doesn't mean that we're always going to experience the same things or see the same things. Every time God does something, He does something unique, a new melody. Whatever God's about to do, it's going to have a new melody. It's not going to look like anything He's done before. We're called to bear fruit. But I want, to, I want to clarify one thing. Just because a tree isn't bearing fruit doesn't necessarily mean it's in need of a revival. A healthy, good fruit tree in the middle of winter is not bearing fruit. There's different seasons. God takes us through different seasons in our life. Just because you may be in a certain season doesn't mean that you're not healthy and exactly where God has you to be. A healthy, productive, producing tree has completely different stages of its life cycle, whether it's in spring or winter or fall or summer. So I just want to encourage you in that way to know that that it doesn't mean that we're going to experience the same level of fruitfulness as the body of Christ uh, 100% of the time, and that if we're not seeing what we expect to see, that then we must be in needing of revival. You don't have you they you can know if a tree's healthy in winter. And you can know if it's dying. So that's just a distinction I want to make so that we understand that that being a fruitful church doesn't mean that we're experiencing one type of fruitfulness 365 days of the year all all the time. God can take us through different seasons and us still be in the place that we're supposed to be. But I do believe right now today the church is not just I'm not speaking of just this church, but the whole church in this nation and throughout the world is in need of a real revival. The body of Christ needs to be revived. As I said, we can't schedule one, but we can pray for one. Ezekiel 36, 22 through 36 is a great example that shows revival and restoration is for God's people and that it absolutely comes from him. I'm going to read through this quickly, but uh, mainly focus on the I will statements. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my sake, for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. He's saying, this is about my name. You're my people, my chosen people. But once again, you've fallen away. And I'm going to bring you back. He says, verse 23, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. 
I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all your uncleanness and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and for your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places shall be rebuilt and the land that was desolate shall be be tilled instead of being the desolation that it is in the sight of all who pass by. And they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. The only thing that they had done on their own was to fall away. Everything else in that, God is saying, I will do it. I'm doing it for my name. I'm doing it to once again show the nations who I am, that I am the Lord God. And it's the same thing today. He's saying, I will restore the church. I will revive the church. I will make the body of Christ the body of Christ again because he's the only one that can. And he says, in that process, you're going to realize the sin that you've committed. You'll repent. You'll come back to me. You'll turn back to me. And then once again, you will be a light to the nations around you because of what the Lord has done. I mentioned Psalm 51 earlier uh, and David and his sin. And we're going to close um, with that passage. Psalm 51 was a prayer of repentance and a prayer of revival and restoration from David after he had killed Uriah the Hittite, after sleeping with Bathsheba and committing uh, plenty of sins. And David starts out Psalm 51 in repentance, and then he goes on to ask God to forgive him, and then he asks God to restore and revive him, which he even acknowledges will then lead the lost to turn to God. Psalm 51, 1 through 4, it says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. 
If you have time this week, read all of Psalm 51, but we're going to jump to verse 10 now. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take your Holy Spirit, not your Holy Spirit, from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. He even acknowledges there at the end what revival does. What will happen when he knows after you forgive me, after you return me to where I have fallen from, then you will allow me to be a witness to the lost. I believe God is starting a work in the body of Christ and I believe that the enemy is attacking that work with everything that he has. We need to pray. We need to repent. We need to forgive one another. We need to ask God to do a miraculous work in us, to restore us, to revive us in us, the first love and the joy of our salvation. I want to share, I've had a prayer since I was about 13 years old. And it was after I received a prophetic word. And just during this series, I realized that that lifelong prayer, uh, even though I didn't realize it, has been a prayer for real revival. True revival, what we're talking about this morning. And the, the, the prophetic word I received is that a day would come where it, it was like uh, Paul on the road to Damascus when he, when he saw Jesus and he went blind. Well, after that blindness, uh, when he was prayed for, it says scales fall from, fell from his eyes. And so the prophetic word that was given to me was, uh, God's going to take the scales off your eyes. You're going to be able to see. And your ears will be open so that you can hear his word. And so from that time, I've prayed God, and I've prayed over and over and over because I know I'm not where he's called me to be yet. I'm not living a life, like I said, that I could say, like, Paul, follow me like I'm following Christ. And so I've prayed, and I've not only prayed that for myself, but I've prayed it for the body of Christ. God, take the scales off of our eyes. Open our ears so we can hear you clearly. So that like Jesus said, everything that we do will be what we see the Father doing, and everything that we say will be what we hear the Father saying through the voice of the Holy Spirit. I believe that's the prayer for the church for revival. God, revive us. Take these scales off our eyes so we're not a body like those Pharisees who we think we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. We think we're doing God a favor. But he says, no, you're completely missing it. And so we're saying, God, I want to repent of my blindness. Forgive me for my blindness. I don't even know what I'm not seeing because I know I can't see clearly. Do a work in me. Start with me. Do a work in my brothers and sisters in Christ. Start with us. Restore the joy of our salvation. Turn us on fire like we just got saved this morning. Forgive us for falling away. And then just believing that He's going to answer that prayer at some point, miraculously. And when He does, the world will know because the light's going to be turned on. You pray with me. Father, this is our prayer, Lord. A prayer of repentance. A prayer of forgiveness. A forgiveness of others and a forgiveness for ourselves. 
A prayer that you would restore us to the whole body of Christ that you called us to be. Restore the joy of our salvation. Restore the fire of our first love. Father, you proclaimed over and over and over in Ezekiel that you would do it. We ask you to do it. Pour out your spirit on your people, God. Start with us. Start the fire. Revive your people. And we ask that you would once again again proclaim what you did in Ezekiel. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. this day in your heart you just received a fresh word from God for us invite it receive it the manna was poured out every day if you tried to store yesterday stop living off of yesterday's manna you just received a fresh word fresh baked bread Eat all of it. Father, I bless you. And I repent. I repent of living off of yesterday's bread. Of yesterday's testimony. Of yesterday's revival. Lord, we request fresh bread. Transform our lives by your grace. By your mercy. Bible start in me. Amen. We'd like to invite you to be in relationship with us in several different ways. We have uh, life groups meeting all week. We have several different community events that we'd like you to be a part of as God calls you. I think this morning all I can say is close in closing is that uh, the Holy Spirit presence that you feel here it won't stay here. It goes with you. You are the temple. Take that with you. Be blessed today. Thank you for listening to this week's message.